morning. So just as Pastor Randy said, Acts chapter 7, and then we will shortly drop down to chapter 8. I'll let you like to know what happens. Starting from verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were curious and gnashed their teeth at Stephen. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and, yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of the young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Jesus, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had this, and when he had said this, he fell asleep. Let's down to chapter 8. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great prosecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Let's say a scripture declaration together. Lord, we honor your word to us. May we thank you from our hearts for searching our lives. All right. Thank you so much, Paul. I appreciate it. And everyone, good morning. It is good to see you here. Thank you for being here and being a part of this brand new teaching series that we are getting started today. It is entitled, Paul, His Life and His Letters. And uh, we're going to be going deep into the life of Paul and talking about some of the things that we can learn from him. And then as you go to this next slide, you will see this is actually something that is kind of a tradition around here. We do character studies almost every single year. In 2018, we did a deep dive into the life of David. Then it was Joseph in 2019, Elijah in 2020, Esther in 2021, Moses in 2022, and now today, Paul gets started here in 2023. And the reason that I believe that this will be something that is important to you and helpful and a blessing to you is... I feel like, ultimately, as you go deep in a character, you understand how much like us these characters that are in the scriptures are. And so as we go to our next slide, you will check this out and see today we are talking about the origins of the late Saul of Tarsus. And so if you were listening close, you understand uh, we are reading about Saul, who later becomes known as Paul. And so he kind of shows up in the story out of nowhere that Paul just read. If you listen closely, you will hear that he appears from nowhere and then he kind of disappears and reappears. Hold on, I'm getting confused myself. Hold on, let me just say it this way. He was once known as Saul. He later becomes known as Paul. 
And so the narrative kind of changes and it goes back and forth. But you know him as the Apostle Paul. You heard him today before that name change that came after his dramatic life change. And so as we share some of these things, today we're talking about the origins of the late Saul of Tarsus. So you can get a sense of who Saul was before he became known as Paul. And then next week, we're going to talk about the near-death experience near Damascus, the Damascus Road experience, which is an amazing story. I feel like I could preach two or three messages. Come next week, I'll only preach one, I promise, okay? So be here as we go through. There will be a number of different weeks. But let's go to our next slide, and I want you to see this. If you look at Paul's letters in the New Testament, I've highlighted those in that yellow color, that gold color. And you can see a number of these different ones, whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. But then you see Acts has that bold, and it's a different color. But the reason that I highlighted that is, in many ways, one of the in, entire book is really uh, talking about the uh, beginnings of Christianity and the origins of the Christian faith. But you can't tell those origins without talking about Paul. And from about chapter 13 all the way through chapter 28, the main character by far is Paul. And so he is one of the main characters in the book that he did not write. But then all of these Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and then there's some that believe that he may or may not have written the book of Hebrews. I probably don't think that he did, but some people are convinced that he did. And so at least 13 of the 27 New Testament books, and then at least one more of those, he is the main character in one of these books. And so if you know the life of Paul, you know the scriptures a lot better because they are the basis, they are the deepening agent of those books that you will read in the scriptures. And then as we go through his life and his letters, I know that you will be blessed because you know a little bit more of the biography of the man who wrote those things. And so we'll be doing that over the next few weeks. It will help you, it will grow you, it will deepen you, and it will make all of these other areas that you already know uh, just a little bit richer. Let's go to our next slide there. And as we see here, this is our something to learn. Saul was a man with a foot in both parts of the world of his day. He was born in Tarsus, a leading city of the Roman Empire, born to Jewish parents who sent him to Jerusalem to be raised and educated there. Later on, one of his many missionary journeys, he declared he was born a Roman citizen along with speaking Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek. And so if you see his life, you see he's kind of a man who's somewhat a man of the Roman Empire, but also somewhat a man of the Jewish faith and a, a man who's probably biggest identity was he called himself a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was Jewish to the very core, even though he had a whole different setting that he was comfortable in, in the Roman city of Tarsus. Now, let's go to our next slide. You, you and I both don't really know where Tarsus is because we don't live on that side of the world, but in modern Turkey, near Greece, Bulgaria, Romania, you can even see Ukraine and Russia, Georgia, Azerbaijan, um, over there in the upper right-hand side of the thing. You can see there Tarsus right there in the middle. That is where 
Paul was born. He was a man of the Mediterranean. Later on, you'll see in his missionary journeys, he's all over the known world at that time. But let's go to our next slide and let's begin to dive a little deeper. Because when Paul was kind of confronted later, they said, who exactly are you and give your defense? Here's what he said. He said, I'm a Jew. So he says, first of all, I'm a Jew. I was born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city of Jerusalem. I stuttered under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as the high priest and all of the council can themselves testify. So let's, talk, let's take just a moment and stop for a moment and look back at what Paul read just a few moments ago. This Paul, not the other Paul. Okay, you guys with me? So as Paul read, he says that basically that Saul of Tarsus was there when the very first Christian martyr was created. His name was Stephen. And as Stephen's life was taken... Saul was standing right there. And I believe that this was a turning point in his life, but not necessarily for the better quite yet. Now, let me explain what I mean. I think at that moment, he became a man who was willing to be on the sidelines, and then he got in the game. But he got in the game against the God of heaven. But then later, when the God of heaven arrested him, we'll talk about that next week, that near-death experience near, Tar- uh, near Damascus, whenever he's dealing with that situation, I believe all that he saw with Stephen comes flooding back. And so I believe this is a turning point in his life where Saul of Tarsus is no longer just an ideologue, but he becomes an activist. Do you guys understand what the difference there? He goes from being a guy who has a mindset to now taking action against those Christians that he wants to see dead. And here is something else to learn here. Saul was one of the most educated men of his day, sitting at the feet of Gamaliel, considered one of the great teachers of the law of Israel. Gamaliel was a part of the Sanhedrin, also known as the Seventy. They're similar to a combination of the Senate and the Supreme Court of that day. And so he was high level and Paul was his star pupil. He was a Jewish man to the core, studying in the law and doing his very best to follow in this man's footsteps. And so this is who Saul slash Paul was before God arrested him. Now let's go to this next slide and we'll talk about When Paul shows up, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at Stephen. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, I bolded that and I want to talk about that at the end of today's message. So we'll get there in just a moment. But I want to talk about the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But this, we see, is Stephen at the very end of his life. And he looks up, and instead of just simply seeing the clouds, he sees into the next realm, and he sees Jesus, the Son of Man, standing at the right hand of God. But then it continues 
Let's go a little further on the next slide. At this they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. So here we see the very first mention of this man who's going to take center stage in the things that are going on in the early church. But he is there, and as they are watching this man breathe his last breath, it's Saul who's there. Now let me ask you a question. You've probably read this passage of Scripture before. You even just heard it read by Paul and Joku, okay, just a moment ago. But here's what I would ask you. How much of an effect do you think it would take on you to watch a man be stoned to death? I, I really want you to ask yourself that question. We got all the kids out. <laughs> you know, this is just a bunch of adults. And this is what they used to do back in the day whenever they would carry out corporal punishment. They would pick up stones, sharp and heavy stones, and they would put an individual there and they would begin to throw rocks and stones until they were dead. Now let me ask you a question again. How big of an effect do you think this would have on you? Now, let me ask you, would that be life-changing? Is that something that would never change? I mean, it would never fade from your memory. You would remember probably for the rest of your days. And I don't know about you. I, I don't know exactly how other people are built. But here's what bothers me the most. When that happened, Saul of Tarsus did not say, I don't want to be associated with those men anymore. He said, that is exactly who I want to be. Now, if you have read about the Apostle Paul, or if you have thought about him on a stained glass window somewhere, that's not what you think. You understand what I'm saying? We think of him as this sanitized version of who he became and who he grew into. But in that moment, at the very height of his anger and frustration and rage against God, he saw a man breathe his last breath in this incredibly violent way. And instead of it chasing him off of that, he was invigorated by that. You guys with me? Y'all hear what I'm saying? That's, that's pretty disturbing to me. It shows what Saul of Tarsus was capable of before he became a man who was saved by the grace of God. Now, I'm going to sit down right here for just a minute, figuratively. I'm already sitting <laughs> physically. But here's the deal. I want to stop for just a moment. And probably if you are like me, you followed the Lord long enough to forget what you used to be capable of when God wasn't in your life. The things that you could have done, the way that you could have been, the person you could have become had God not kept you from going down that wrong path. And maybe even today you can identify exactly with what I'm saying, that maybe as God's grip on your life has been something that you've been 
working your way free from and taking options to go away from that, then you are probably freshly aware of what you are capable when God's influence and His Holy Spirit is not high in your life. When the volume of God's voice is turned down rather than turned up. And if you've forgotten, can I point you to this man that we knew as Saul who later becomes Paul to remind you of where you could be without the God who changed you into the new creation. And isn't this exactly what I'm trying to talk about? Whenever Saul of Tarsus was this way and Paul later would write, any man who is in Christ is a new creation. The old man has passed away and behold, the new man has come. You see who I'm talking about and what I'm saying? That ultimately when we know him better, we know when he writes those words, it's not a, an ideological thing. It is a literal thing. That's who I could have been and that's who I was. But God got a hold of me and changed my life and changed my destiny. And because of that, I know I am grateful and I'm thankful to the God that changed me because even though I sometimes forget, it doesn't take me long to remember what road I was choosing and what path I was trying to go down before God got a hold of my heart and changed my life. But I'll tell you this, I am grateful to God because He is a great Savior that didn't depend on me wanting Him as much as He wanted me. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, I'm just grateful, and I hope that you are as well. So as they lay their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, he leaves that place, unfortunately, more invigorated to go out and wreak havoc and not do good things at all. So let's go to our next slide. And Saul approved of their killing of Stephen. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. And then I want you to notice this part that I bolded. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Here's what I'm saying about Saul. He was so invigorated that he didn't say, you know what, I see somebody in the public place saying something about this Jesus character. I'm going to throw him in prison. That was not what he did. He went house to house to house to house. And he said, do you believe in Jesus? And if they said yes, then he grabbed them and he put them in stocks and he was leading them away to prison. He was a zealot against the church in every single way. And notice... It wasn't just men. It was both men and women. In other words, he didn't care if there were kids left in the house. If both the man and the woman both said they believed in Jesus, then guess what? He put them both in stocks, left the kids to fend for themselves, and he took them away to Jerusalem so that they would have to face the punishment and maybe have the same fate as Stephen. Now, this man is going to go through an incredible change. But it is always good for us to be reminded of who we are without the God who changes us to the very core. You guys understand what I'm saying? And let me just say this real quickly. If you've forgotten, 
then you probably don't feel. Don't feel the songs in the same way. When somebody says God has been good, it probably doesn't hit you square like it should. Because sometimes we forget what we would have been without God. We forget who we were without Him. And then when we sing songs to Him and praise Him for the change and talk about the goodness of God and on and on down the line, we've got to be careful that we don't become bored with the blessing of being a follower of God. And it doesn't just become the mundane. And it doesn't just become the same old, same old, because the truth is is that we are supposed to love the Lord our God with all of our, what? Heart, mind, soul. Every part of us is supposed to be changed. And here is the beautiful thing that I'm about to share with you. When it came to Paul, it changed everything. Everything changed. He was absolutely a different man. It didn't happen overnight, but it happened totally, wholly, and completely. All right, so let's go to our next slide very quickly. Have any of you guys been keeping up? Are any of y'all Mission Impossible Part 52, uh, Part 1 fans? Have you all seen this? Here's what's scary to me. This is... This guy is a handsome guy. I'm I'm secure enough to say this. This guy's a handsome guy. But he's the villain. He's the villain in Mission Impossible, the new movie. Have any of y'all seen the new movie? Is it just just a handful of us? Okay, Shelly, who'd you go with? Oh, that's right. We went together. Uh, Okay, I'm kidding. Yes, this is the villain. And have you ever noticed the scariest villains are not the ones who look like you know, they just came crawling out of a gutter somewhere. The scariest villains that ugh, make you kind of shiver are the ones who are intelligent, smart, cold, calculating, but absolutely ruthless to the very core. You know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one? Is If that's how you feel, like if they make you shiver a little bit, okay, I know all of you men are too tough to shiver, but... Let's just pretend, all right? Do you know what I'm talking about? When Paul is one of the most educated people of his day, and yet he is this ruthless, just know who you're dealing with here. He is a villain of the highest order before God arrests him, puts him through a near-death experience near Damascus that we're talking about next week, He is that kind of guy that makes you shiver because he's the one who scares you and keeps you up at night. He may come knocking at your door. That's who Paul was before he changed. Let's go to our next slide. So let's talk about this very quickly. This is our big idea. And this is what is so vital for us to understand. That God doesn't care about your past unless you let it control your future. I don't know what you have or haven't done. I don't know where you have and haven't been, but here's what I do know. It does not matter unless you allow it to matter. And here is where I once again slow down and say that Paul didn't come to Jesus. Paul got knocked off his donkey in the middle of the road 
because Jesus wanted his attention that bad. He got found. You guys understand what I'm saying? Paul didn't seek Jesus. Jesus found him and arrested him. Wouldn't let him go any further. Blinded him so he had his full attention. I would say Jesus had a man, went out and got his man, and brought him back. Would you guys understand what I'm saying? Why would he do that to that guy? That ruthless man. That man who was turned on by the killing of the very first martyr. Who got excited when they laid their coats at his feet. Why would Jesus seek somebody like that to be his main spokesperson? That doesn't make sense to me. That doesn't make sense to me. I'd have found somebody nicer. Somebody that wasn't quite so mean. Somebody who didn't have that kind of past. Can I remind you again, Jesus came looking, knowing exactly who Paul was and where he'd been. And he came looking for him anyway. So wherever you've been, I can tell you, it doesn't frighten God off. The only thing is, you can't let it control your future if it's in your past. Can I get an amen on that? Can I get an amen this morning? Okay, so let's say this together on the count of three. Would you guys say it with me? Ready? One, two, three. God does not care about your past unless you let it control your future. Now let's do it a different way. God doesn't care about my past unless I let it control my future. Can we say it that way? Because it's true in your life and it's true in mine. Let's do it. God does not care about my past unless I let it control my future. All right, let's keep moving here. Very quickly, we go back to this message list. And as I shared with you what we're talking about today and what we will be talking about next week, this is the origins of the late Saul of Tarsus. In other words, this is who Saul is when he shows up on the scene. He's about to go through one of the most dramatic changes of his life, all because of the near-death experience and the close experience with the Son of God that he's going to find next week. Be here as we share this amazing passage of Scripture. But let's keep moving here to our next slide. And this is our one to remember. In other words, if you remember one single verse, or if you're a person who's trying to memorize Scripture, here's one for you to remember. Because later in his life, Paul will write these words. And again, I say, knowing his backstory helps you to find richness here. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for even somebody like me. I added that last part. But isn't that what Paul's basically saying? He loves me. That doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't make any sense. But when he says he's been crucified with Christ, I dare you to find somebody whose life was more dramatic before they came to Christ and after they made Christ face to face. Can I just say something? This is who He wants all of us to be. People who may as well have been crucified 
compared to what we were and what we now are becoming. And can I just share something with you? Anytime we cheapen the grace of God by simply saying, well, God forgave me, so I'm just going to live the way that I want to live. That flies in the face of everything that Paul not only wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but also everything that he lived. And if you want to live a life that has the impact of someone like the Apostle Paul, you can have step it all your life and never make a difference, never make an impact, and never feel alive. Or you can be a sold-out person like Paul who gives it his everything and runs like he's being chased from the moment that God gets a hold of him until he takes his last breath and says, like I spoke about last week, I finished my race, I fought a good fight, and I've kept the faith. There's two different ways that you can live, and Paul shows us how we ought to live. So let's keep moving here as we go a little further. Every saint has a past, and every sinner has a future. I don't care what your past is. It just matters that you remember that you have a future, not because of your goodness, or not because of your ability to change, but because of God's forgiveness and His ability to change you. Let's go to our next slide here. We are all sinful by birth, by nature, and by choice. This is what Charles Swindoll says, and I 100% agree. This is the first time that I'm mentioning this book, but this is a great book. If you'd like to read, go a little deeper. It's called Paul, a Man of Grit and Grace, and it talks all about what he becomes as he becomes the late Saul and the brand new, newborn Paul. Let's go to our next slide. Three things that we can learn. First of all, Paul became a totally different person, at least in some ways. In other words, he was a man who was all about Judaism and then became a man who was all about Christ. But he was just as passionate as he was in this direction as he became in this direction. You don't accomplish what Paul accomplished without having that same level of passion and drive. And so Paul took everything that was going in the wrong way and channeled it again instead in a new direction. Let's go to our next slide here. If God can forgive, redirect, and redeem Paul's life, I promise he can do the same for you. No matter who you are, what you've done, or where you've been, he can redeem, redirect your life, and forgive all of your past if you will let him. Let's go to our next slide. The conversion of a soul is the miracle of a moment, but the manufacture of a saint is the task of a lifetime. Alan Redpath from the Moody Bible Church in Chicago said this, and this is so true. The truth of the matter is, is that you will not become all that you will become, but the longer that you walk on the path that God has for you, the more and more you become like Him. And the conversion of the soul happens immediately, but you and I are required to get in and roll up our own sleeves, make daily choices to follow that path that God has called us to walk, to walk away from our past and move towards that better future. And if we will choose that, He will continue to reveal and redeem, and He will continue to make you more and more impactful in your life pour more and more joy into your life. And it all happens as we choose Him 
daily. So let's go to our next slide here. The third thing that we can learn is that God has forgiven, redirected, and redeemed us fully. Let's not return to Him those half measures. In other words, what I said a few minutes ago, you can half step it all your life and live half asleep, or you can give your very best to God and do all that you can to make a difference in this world. And that is by far the better way and the better path. Now, I want to talk about that thing that I said that I would share with you. So let's talk about how to apply this message, and then we'll shift into why Jesus was standing at the right hand of the Father rather than sitting at the right hand of the Father. Here's how you apply this message. You start honoring God with the whole of your life. And here's what that means. Kind of let me just go a little deeper. That means if your actions don't look any different, and if your attitudes don't look any different at your workplace, at your home, or in your private life, then probably it's at best half-stepping to give what you've given to God. Because the truth is, is that there's no way you could look at Saul of Tarsus and look at the Apostle Paul and say, that's the same life. They were dramatically different. And the only thing that happened in between there was a confrontation with the Son of God, Jesus, who changed him from one man to another. He was crucified in that moment. And he no longer lived, but now lived instead as a new creation. Right? And so we see that in Paul. We see him as a different man, so different that we know him by a different name. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Is it possible in your life that someone who knew you before you knew Christ would say, you've changed so much, you may as well be a totally different person. You're just different than you used to be. And if there's no evidence that you're different, can I recommend to you, go deeper. Find out if you're really giving God all that He is worthy of in your life. If your actions and attitudes in these places don't change, if your choices made with your time, your talent, and your treasure don't change, then I would recommend to you look deeper and understand that the God who you and I claim to be the most important thing in our life deserves higher priority than we often give Him. Let's be careful that we live what we say we believe. Let's go to our next slide. I've been talking over the last few weeks about Jesus in this passage. And each time we talk about Jesus in the passage of Scripture, I want to talk about who He is and where He is in this passage so we see that Jesus is literally not the one who shows up in Matthew, but He's the Jesus that goes through every part of the Scripture. His through line is all in there. He is the point of the whole story. And so as we see Jesus, the Son of Man, who Stephen is being stoned and he looks up into heaven and instead of just simply seeing clouds, sees heaven open and he declares it. And he says, I see heaven open and I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 
Now, if you don't understand, let me just give you a little bit of clarity. Most of the time, if you were a Jew and you were trying to reach a Jew, you would say, I see heaven open and I see Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. Because that is how he is usually portrayed. The one who sits at the throne on the right hand of the king is the one who is the one who does his will. He's the chosen one. Jesus should be sitting. And even in Hebrews, he's declared to be the one who sits at the right hand, sharing and on our behalf, speaking to God the Father who's on the throne. You guys with me so far? So here's the question. Why in the world did Stephen, who's trying to reach all these Jews, say, I see him standing at the right hand of God? And let's go back. He's at the very end of his life. He's taking stones on his body, about to breathe his last. Why would he make that up? How would he even have the mental capacity to stop and think about making that up? I don't believe he did. I believe he spoke what he saw. I see heaven open and I see Jesus standing. So why would he be standing instead of sitting at the right hand of God? Here's three options. I'm not saying I've got it down. I'm not saying I've got every one. But here's three possible reasons. Maybe he's standing in anticipation of Stephen's arrival into heaven. Maybe he knows that the reason that Stephen can see what's going on in heaven is that at the very end of your life, the veil between this world and the next starts to tear a little bit and you can see little glimpses of the next life. I believe that. We can talk about that at another time. But I have a number of loved ones and people that I've seen and known that have had this happen to them. I would also say it's possible that he's standing to signify that he was standing with Stephen in his most difficult hour. And if you've ever walked through the valley of the shadow of death, you know you have to fear no evil because he is with you. Maybe he was standing to remind him, I'm with you, even though you're going through this incredibly hard physical test. I'm with you. And maybe... Jesus was standing in honor of his life and his sacrifice. I can't say which one it is. I don't know. Maybe there's another one that's maybe even in your mind. But here's what I do know. Jesus in this passage does not leave Stephen. And here's what is beautiful. He takes Stephen's life and he makes it a catalyst moment for somebody who would change the entire Roman world. That catalyst moment of Stephen's last breath becoming something powerful that eventually would change the life of Saul of Tarsus becoming Paul the Apostle. It's a beautiful thing. And God alone is the one who can forgive our past and redeem our present and our future and make it something much more powerful than we could ever have on our own. So here is what I know about me and what I believe to know about you, if I may be so presumptuous. You and I can't make our lives matter. All we can do is be faithful and let the God who made us for His purposes take our lives and make them matter. I want my life to make an impact. 
but it will not be done because of what I do. It will be done because of my commitment to the one who has called me to his purposes, his kingdom work, his path, his redemption of my past, and his use of me in the future. And I believe that to be the same and true of all of you. Now, do you want your kids to be impacted by your life? Do you want your family, your friends, your community to be impacted by your life? Then this is where it begins. I'm crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. But instead, the life that I now live is lived in this body through the power of Jesus rather than who I was when I was making my own choices. You see? This is the change that comes about in our life. So, i tell you what. I'm going to go to the mini-movie, if you don't mind, and then our worship team is going to lead us in a final song. I believe this one will be a blessing to you. It is called Our Mess, His Masterpiece. I've heard it. You've heard it. It's time for a new beginning. Time to start a fresh page or paint a new picture with our life. Sounds great in theory, but it can seem impossible. Life is messy. The lines have gotten blurred. Maybe we just don't know where to start. We look at the canvas of our lives and see mistake after mistake after mistake. It's overwhelming. When I look at my life with these messy lines and scribbles, it makes me think, is this as good as it gets? There's no eraser that can make this life make sense. But what if? What if there was someone that could make sense of our mess? They could take all our scribbles, all our mistakes, all our missed opportunities, and make them into a masterpiece. And I remember, there is... Jesus, He gives us a new life. Every day is new. Every day is a blank canvas full of possibility and promise. He takes our canvas, our lives that have been filled up with shortcomings, secrets, tragedies, and embarrassments, and He helps them make sense. When I look at the canvas of my life and I see nothing but disorder and chaos, I have to remember this. God is not a God of disorder. He's a God of peace. And you know what? He wants to take my hand and bring peace to the canvas of my life. As we seek to make our mark, let us give God all our scruples, all our mistakes, all our hurts, and trust that He will turn our messy lives into a masterpiece. His masterpiece.